Hey everybody, welcome back to week two of High Cheese. Um, we're back. We, uh, you know, it's Thursday here. Been a good baseball season. I feel like we're on uh, a weird schedule now recording, so I had a whole agenda that I've shifted a little because cool stuff's happened since we uh, talked about doing this episode. So, yeah, how you doing? Yeah, we, you... we had a, a little bit of a false start. I had a, a small pet emergency to deal with literally in the middle of recording a couple of days ago, so we had to stop, and here we are. One positive to that, again. Uh, everyone's okay, and you did get to see yeah. a gerbil get an ultrasound that day. Which yeah, I went. I went to the basically my dog ate something he shouldn't have, so I took him to the ER and they had to make him throw it up. Um, and while I was sitting there waiting, there it was a guinea pig. Actually, I don't know the oh. difference, but they said guinea pig. I heard them say it. They they were like propping up a guinea pig and doing an ultrasound on the guinea pig. But it actually not to bring the pot down a little bit. I think the owner then had to decide whether or not to put down the guinea pig, which was oh, sad. Oh no! Oh god! Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. uh, poor poor guinea pig. We don't know. This is this episode is dedicated to that guinea pig now. I guess. Yeah, what started off as like a weird whimsical, yeah. like I don't. It didn't seem real. Like I, I didn't even know guinea pigs could get ultrasounds. No, when you, t- I uh, just got a very funny visual of it when you texted me that. And I was like, it was. Wow. It was probably goofier looking than you realize. Yeah, um, it's a turned little, into a sad, a sad story. Small little rodent on like a hospital bed, but in my head, it's like full size human gear. That's what I was picturing. <laughs> So no, like, well, it was, it wasn't, it was, they were like holding it under its armpits and like propping it up. So it was like sitting up kind of. Yeah, that's way goofier like, than I would have thought. Of. Yeah, it was strange. And I was sitting there looking at it and I was like, you know, it was one of those things where I looked at it for like two minutes. I was just watching. Yeah, it's fa- And then I'd I was like. Definitely be fascinated by that. Well, yeah, but then I was like, oh, this is so strange to see a guinea pig getting an ultrasound. And then that's when I texted you. I was like. That's just it. It struck me. It didn't strike me as weird. I was just like, "Well, that's interesting." And then I was like, "Oh, that's very weird." Um, yeah, it it brought me some yeah, joy. Every, and I'm glad everyone's my, okay on your end. Yeah, my dog Lorenzo is fine. They just had to make him throw up, and he threw it up, and then they gave him an anti nausea, so he didn't throw up anymore. And he was a little woozy after that, but he's okay. Yeah. Well, good. Well, hey, yeah. I'm glad he's okay. And we'll just have to recreate the energy. I think actually we'll do better because you were definitely distracted since your dog. Was oh yeah, I was that, like so. googling ER vets and yeah. like trying Is to. Is like, my look dog at, going and, to die? Dot com. Yeah, yeah, and then I was like, I, I just stopped you mid sentence. So I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I, I think I need to deal with this. Yeah, and I'm good. glad I did. It worked yeah. out. Yeah. Well, yes. So everybody's good. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'll still some of these notes I still want to talk about. So I'm gonna bring them up still. Yep. Uh, yep. Our first one we wanted to talk about, and just because I like the name. Uh, Bryson Stott, I think this hit streak ended because the Phillies almost got no hit the other day. But Bryson Stott yeah. does have the Phillies' all-time hit streak to start a season with, I believe, 17 games. He might have gotten 18, but I'm not sure, and I we can look that up in a sec. But he passed Put in the Head Jones, which is a name I had to just say on the podcast because that's just a great baseball name, great name. That is a great. What year was that? Do, do you know? I think it was 1950. That had, seems late for that kind of name. Puddinghead Jones, yeah. Uh, yeah, that feels more like a 1920s guy or something, 1930s. It, funny detail of this is I was talking with my dad on the phone and mentioned this, and he like gave me like every story about Puddinghead Jones. He knew like the whole... Oh, of course. Yeah, he of did course. deep, deep dive into the history of that Phillies team. And actually, a later discussion we're going to have here, I don't know if this guy's on the list, but that team also had a relief pitcher win the NL MVP. 
Ugh. Yeah, I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, just a very weird team. Philly's Philly's team that year was very strange. Um, they went to the World that Series that year, but uh, so anyhow, uh, Bryce Scott, Scott, great start. He made it se- he made it seventeen games, and then he went zero for four, and then he went um, yesterday. He went two for five. All right, so yeah, seventeen. Passing put in put in head. Great start for Bryson Stott. Congrats on passing a guy, a legendary name. <laughs> um, so yeah, we talked about that. The other streak that ended. There's another streak that's actually part of this, and I don't know if this one's still going as of yesterday. I'm not sure. The Rays, though, we talked a little bit about the Rays burner of a streak, uh, starting mm-hmm. off the season with 13 straight wins, and then. They have hit a home run every game too. Was the streak they were on, and I also yeah, they, they scored eight runs yesterday. I'm looking at the I'm pulling up the box score now. I'm assuming that means they yeah didn't Yandy Diaz lead off with a home run? I think he might have hit a home run to lead off. Yeah, admittedly, yesterday was the first day all season. I didn't really get to watch any baseball, so I feel like I'm like coming in a little cold today. You know, like hey, yeah. I have this detail that I wrote yesterday morning, but. Yeah, um, and a stat from the Rays winning streak. I don't, I, I don't know where it stands now, but at some point, like I want to say, like ten games in, or maybe maybe like eight games in, they had hit more home runs than they had allowed earned runs, which is just like a wild. Number. I think that still has to it be was true. Like, honestly, how they've been rolling. It was thirty home runs to you know like twenty seven earned runs or something like that. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah. So yeah, Rays. Shout out to the Rays. They somehow. I feel like the Rays uh, are kind of what the A's get Moneyball credit for, but they're like been doing it longer. Better at it, and they're better <laughs> at it. But the A's like still get talked about as a Moneyball team. Um, maybe maybe yeah. not anymore. Maybe Vegas will change them. Maybe Vegas will change the A's. I don't know. I mean, it takes it takes an ownership group that's willing to invest in the players i mean they had the a's have had players i mean they had lazardo they had olsen chapman um simeon um yeah they have players who are contributing on every other team in the al right now basically it's wild they had cespedes back in his his heyday um you know they they just don't really seem interested in holding on to talent so we're bringing in talent so i mean a new city might help that i i think that would probably be a part of like moving to a new city is like you have to make an effort to get new fans and everything but i don't know they haven't really shown much willingness to do any of that so we'll see yeah i think they was that today or yesterday that they signed that land contract in vegas to build a new stadium I think I th- I found out about it I think today so yeah. I don't know when it actually happened. So but. yeah, big news. That's big news. They've been kind of threatening that for a while, and yeah, I mean, kind of a bummer that Oakland lost the A's because I feel like they are a storied franchise even though they haven't been there for their whole life, and it's just weird that they just never figured out how to promote their team or get people stoked or spend any money, and now they're leaving. Yeah, are so. they going to change? Are they going to change their like branding and name and stuff? Like I feel like they almost have to. I feel like. Las Vegas A's has a weird ring to it. And also, I just, those colors, green and yellow, just don't have a Las Vegas feel to me. No, they don't scream Vegas don't at all. Yeah, yeah. It'd be weird to see. It, it's also kind of a bummer, though, because I do like the Oakland A's jerseys. It's like one of the better jerseys, yeah. iconic jerseys. I think of, I mean, especially because of when we were growing up watching baseball with, with the Moneyball A's. Like, I think of like Miguel Tejada in a yellow and green hat and Eric Chavez and, mm-hmm. uh, Jason Giambi. Well, yeah, I mean, they even had a lot of guys, yeah, like Giambi or uh, Johnny Damon was an A for a little while. 
Dude, Jermaine I mean, the Dye A's have had some a. of the best players in the league for basically since we've been alive, and they keep them for like a year or two and then trade them. Jose Canseco. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. McGuire, I guess. Yeah. We're, yeah. Uh, then the the pitchers, they always had good pitchers. Yeah. Tim Hudson. Zito, Motor um, Hudson. My guy, Rich Harden, who never really panned out, but he Rich was Harden, who, <laughs> He had a couple good years, didn't he? I don't know yeah. if he was with the A's when he had them. No, he was. He actually had his best years with the Cubs, I think. Yeah, that sounds but, right. I like. I was a big Rich Harding guy. That's a classic. Paul. You were. This is an, uh, a well, he was kind of. He was. He was kind of like a, a pitcher now, but back in like the twenty. Yeah, he would pitch like five innings and have like twelve offs. strikeouts in his best best starts, and and, and then he threw hard and stuff. But and then he, he would get he hurt. Like walk every guys, year. so he's exactly like a guy yeah. now. Exactly like yeah. a guy now, which is uh, yeah, yeah. He dude, would be thriving now. I didn't. I didn't originally have this on the agenda, but I feel like everybody's getting hurt right now. Like every pitcher, mm-hmm. uh, just a lot of a lot of players. Yeah, but there's a lot of forearm tightness that some of them have been UCLs, which is like always scary when you hear that because you think, oh, is it Tommy John? Uh, but mm-hmm. there's just been guys who have left starts with like weird stuff and Trevor as, Rogers. Yes, Trevor Rogers. Uh, someone else just had a UCL thing. I mean Jeffrey Springs. That's how his started. Now he's getting Tommy John, which is a bummer. He was yeah. Kind well, of they they say the usually next. that's that's the precursor to like a, a tear or something. Having to get Tommy John is that forearm tightness. Yeah, um, big bummer. So every time you see a pitcher go down and it's like forearm tightness, it's like, no. I'm I'm still holding on to Trevor Rogers on my fantasy roster, but I don't have a lot of hope that I will be because it seems he also was like three miles down on his velocity before he left the game. Yeah, I think that's what they say is the real big indicator. It's like. Far, forearm tightness plus like decreased velocity and like issues locating and things like that like then that's like a, a big indicator of like this guy might be fucked yeah he's probably he's probably not gonna be with us for a while so uh yeah anyhow it's a lot of injuries uh the other one i wanted to mention just because it is uh happened last weekend but jackie robinson day just talking about mm-hmm. it as a thing um yeah fun cool day Fun Everybody day. wears forty two in honor of him. They yeah. do, you know, they do stuff before the the games, opening ceremonies, and things like that. I think that's worthwhile. Yeah, and it was cool. I I specifically like seeing certain guys, like uh, especially like black players wearing forty two. I think it's like a really special thing. Like every year, like Tim Anderson's a very outspoken athlete in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I like I just like seeing them wear the jersey and talk about it. It's like a cool. It's like as I said, I think I yeah. said this when we did our false start recording. It's maybe the best thing Bud Selig brought to baseball as a commissioner was that little like yeah. that celebration and honoring because everything else he did was stupid. Um, yeah, so now I mean, he's it's still good. better than Manfred, but <laughs> oh, that's not hard. Yeah, um, yeah, I think like there's less and less black players in, or you know, like United States black players. There's plenty of Dominican and Puerto yeah. Rican black players but uh there's less and less american black players and i think like stroman and tim anderson i mean i'm having trouble coming up with more than a couple that are like big name players in the league right now yeah i mean like byron buxton to a lesser extent because he's never on the field buxton judge judge um yeah i mean it so i think like a jackie robinson day it's good because it honors jackie robinson and what that meant to the game but Hopefully they can uh, they can grow the game in in communities that maybe have been left behind a little bit by yeah I know baseball. I know there's a big push well in baseball marketing pushes are always bizarre 
But uh, I think I read an article a couple weeks ago in The Athletic about the decline of American black athletes in baseball. And mm-hmm. I know Tim Anderson's been really active in a bunch of causes, but that's something that's like near and dear to him. Um, I think Stroman is as well. I think Stroman is too, yeah, which is cool. They're both in Chicago, which is a great population to try to get people stoked about baseball because they have a great baseball tradition there. So like, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool they're on those two teams. But yeah, so yep. Jackie Robinson Day, cool. Love it every year. Just cool thing. Uh, and then our last thing of just little quick hits from the last week or so. And uh, he's even, I, I want to talk about him just in general. But uh, Cody Bellinger returned to Dodger Stadium, got a nice ovation. And then the umpire started the clock and gave him a pitch clock violation strike, which is one of the lamer things I've seen so far with the whole thing. Um, yeah. Silliness. Just silly new Yeah, it's, it's, it's lame. I mean, I, when we had initially discussed this, you and I, I didn't realize that they could, that the ump had sort of free reign to start and stop the clock. And it seems like... Uh, read the room you know like give the guy yeah what is it, 10 extra seconds like come on who cares uh i'm sure the dodgers weren't gonna have an issue with it um i'm sure the fans didn't have an issue with it so like i don't know um sir i think in our uh in our baseball group chat my brother chris said like it's their last uh they're 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 just trying to like flex their power before you know it, mlb goes it full certainly robo does seem that way like shares are getting tossed yeah, well on top of this yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. On top of this, you had, you know, Max Scherzer, who's one of the best pitchers in the history of baseball, who also was notably, um, I think, outspoken against like excessive, like sticky stuff usage a couple years he was. ago. He was very, very yeah. much like, we don't need, like, we should get this out of the game. Yeah, and for those of you who didn't see yesterday, he was pitching, and I think apparently they. I think they said they asked him to wash it off. They gave him a warning, and then it wasn't to their liking. And he he was saying it was just resin. It looks like there was also tape in his glove for his pitch com. Um, so it could have been I don't know leftover. Yeah, like residue tape, from that or residue. something. Residue. Uh, either way, it seems like I don't know because a similar thing happened with Domingo Herman. He wasn't tossed, and he's obviously not suspended. But like, if you're using rosin, which is legal. It, now I guess they're saying that like if you use rosin too much, but it's like illegal it's part but of the what is game? that? Yeah, and who decides that? And I think uh, everybody saw on Twitter who was the um, Phil Cuzzy. Is that his name? Uh, Am I making that name that, up? I think you may. I, he he's I think you're right. Been responsible for like all three ejections for sticky stuff. Yeah, so and he's just ego it, tripping it, on this thing, or he doesn't understand how pitching fucking works, and he's you know over his head. Uh, it just seems like, and I think you and I talked about this as well. Phil it seems Cousin, like, you got it right. uh, I just it up. yeah, oh, what's up? It, it would be I'm weird if that him. was wrong. Cause yeah. where would that so, have come from? Well, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, it seems like they did all this stuff in the interest of improving hitting and run scoring and stuff like give the fucking pitchers a bone. And I mean, they're using, if they're using legal substances, like just let them fucking use them no matter what. I don't know. I I think the sticky stuff thing is kind of bullshit, especially if they made all these other counterbalance rules to improve hitting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's 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 crazy that I I think we joked in the chat and I took it too far like I always do cuz I don't care about steroids, but it's like just let the pitchers have this cuz like you've given the mm-hmm. hitters so many new advantages in the last couple of years. And I mean the last year alone, like The last year alone. And 
the pitchers have kind of been like having to adapt and adapt and adapt. And I know that the year that it, the sticky stuff crackdown happened, like Tyler Glass now got hurt after saying, yo, if we do this midseason, it's going to be like a weird adjustment. We've all been pitching and gripping a ball a certain way. He got hurt right away, like immediately following. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, you know, the, we, we've had so many changes. It's like, give these guys anything, like give them a shot. Like you've added the pitch clock, yeah. you've added all these like disengagement things. They have all these new things in their head that they don't, didn't have to think of. They got to move quicker. There's like a lot of new stuff. Like, just give them this one concession. And while we're at it, give the juice ball back to everybody because we want more home runs and <laughs> everybody should do steroids. That's my No, reason. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about all the other stuff, but it seems like, I mean, there. if you're using the rosin, like now you're saying you use too much of the thing we give you to use? Like, what do you yeah. mean? It's it. It seems it seems, and you're getting insane. sweaty. And apparently, if you use the rosin and you're sweaty, it gets like stickier and tackier and stuff. Isn't that how but, it's like, supposed to work? Yeah, you can't regulate a guy who's sweating. Like that's it's just ridiculous. And it looks like Scherzer's probably going to get a ten game suspension, which is fucking ridiculous. If 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 what we assume happened happened, which it seems like it did. Um, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that is ridiculous. Also, he was like, uh, I think he was throwing a no hitter when he got tossed in the fourth inning, oh, what, which is very well, yeah, he's fourth also been, inning, though. Yeah, but he's been not so tight this year, so it was like his best start of the year, yeah. and then he got tossed. Well, maybe he sh- should have used more rosin in his other there, starts. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but yeah, so anyhow, um, going into our one of our main segments today, we want to talk about, and off of Cody Bellinger, because he's been having a really nice start for the Cubs, which I honestly, frankly, was like pretty pessimistic about. People were like, oh, change of scenery might work for him, because he's been super... Mm-hmm not on the ball the last couple of years. Uh, he's been crushing it still. He he didn't have a, I, I know the other day um, he got blown away by uh, Mason Miller, the new A's mm-hmm. guy who got caught yeah. up. Uh, he like just totally whiffed on a hundred miles an hour up in the zone. And it like kind of looked like yeah. Dodgers Cody Bellinger the last few years, but he had a five hit game. He's been playing better than he has in several years. Um, so this prompted us discussing, there's two things that prompted this one. Bellinger was in my head from seeing that ovation and kind of seeing how well he's been playing in Chicago. And then the other night, Chris Bryant, I think he had another one since this at least. Uh, but Chris Bryant, uh, hit his first home run as a Colorado Rocky, which felt just crazy for the fact that he's played there and how he was an MVP. He was a rookie of the year. He was incredible. And so I wanted to just kind of dig into a question of who is the worst former MVP and both of the guys in this discussion if we were talking uh last year would probably be in the top five in my opinion of the worst former MVPs um and then just thought before you I know you have an article about this too but just the piece of well, trivia so, I found you know, you go ahead real quick just a precursor so I think I sort of misunderstood the the question a little bit I was thinking like worst MVP wins like like single season winners, you know. Oh, we can like definitely career. start with that too, though, because I feel like that gives a good. Because that's for the sort rest of what of I was thinking about. Um, and in terms of, I don't have anything top of mind for guys who won the MVP who had stanky careers afterward. Yeah. Well, I feel like some of them on your list will probably cross over. Honestly, uh, yeah, the list is a little weird. It's it's players I don't really know, um, and and some of them are old. Do you want to just jump right into that? Yeah, let me do my trivia, though, real quick on this, because I just came across a random one that I thought was interesting. Um, The MVP award, which is for the most valuable player, there's an NL and AL one every year. 
Um, there's only three teams that haven't had an MVP ever, which are the Arizona Diamondbacks, the New York Mets, and the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, I just thought that was kind of interesting because I was thinking through, I was like, I feel like the Mets should have had an MVP. Yeah, it seems like they could have, like, with some of their pitchers that they've had over the years, um, Doc Gooden, uh, that one year. Yeah, or, like, I, like, like in my head, I was Darryl like, did Strawberry. Keith Hernandez win? Like, I was like, I feel like he could have. Keith Hernandez. But, or, I, I don't know, maybe even, like, a weird Mike Piazza year. Yeah, you know? right? Like, like just, they've had good, it's, like, of the teams, like, the Diamondbacks are still kind of a younger franchise, so that one stuck out to me. It's like, well, you know, they... Like a, like, they they make sense kind of, but they did have Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling during like their prime. So, uh, yeah, but they you know Kurt, uh, Randy Johnson won all those Cy Young awards. Yeah, that's true. And then uh, and then the Rays. I mean, I found it interesting since they have like had Cy Young winners and contenders, but they've not had an MVP candidate. So, yeah, I yeah, I mean, I think. <sighs> I I almost feel like it's harder to have an MVP winner, <laughs> just because there's so many hitters. True. Um, there's just less pitchers, you know. Um, so there's, I just think it's just numbers game. Like it's more likely to have a pitcher who's at the top of the league than it is to have a hitter who's at the top of the league. I, I would imagine. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I I I mean. The Rays make sense to me if they don't have an MVP. I, I, Longoria was probably in the discussion a couple times. Crawford might have been in the discussion a yeah. couple times. But outside of that, position player wise, like what? They're always a mixed. We they're always a mixed bag to get to the record they're at right now. They have like I've had like a different shortstop and third baseman every day so far. It's like they yeah. just all their players yeah. are very good. That's their move. It's like yeah. There's well, not I like think Wander Franco could look. push himself into that conversation in his career. I'd love if he uh, did. I think people tried to make. Yeah, I think people tried to make an argument a couple years back um, that Kevin Kiermaier was such an elite defender that he should have been in the conversation for MVP, but that was nonsense. Yeah, that's um, not, there's a, there's an award for that. It's called a Gold Glove, and you get yeah. that for being good at defense. Like what? Well, I think people have tried to make that argument for other players as well. But Kiermaier that one year was like, I, I don't remember the numbers. Um, and he's super mediocre at the plate, but he was like, like miles better than everybody else in center field and in the outfield. Um, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah like Kiermaier. What do you think Kevin Kiermaier's career war is? Just off the top of my head. Yeah. Probably because he 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 he's won gold gloves, right? He definitely has. Yeah. Uh, he's won three gold gloves. I feel like yes. she's done more than that. I'm gonna say like twenty four. Thirty two point four. That's higher than I thought. I mean, defense, yeah, he, he's played for eleven years and he's only played a hundred fifty games once. He's that good at defense because he's not that good at yeah. And he was an MVP finisher. He finished 17th in the voting in 2015. So that must be the year I'm thinking of where everybody... That was the 151-game year. That must be the year that um, everybody was making, you know... Or not everybody, but there were some to make the arguments that, for him to win. Yeah, I feel like defense comes into the... It comes in less... Yeah, I mean, he had a... Sorry, I don't mean to keep cutting you off, but... No, he So at the plate, he was 263 batting average, 18 stolen bases... 40 RBIs, 10 home runs, and 62 runs. 
and he had a 7.1 war. <laughs> that's crazy because it's like a very pedestrian offensive season, but he's that Yeah, great, like that's super mediocre, like bench level. But his defense was so, and his his on base percentage was 298. So he was barely getting on base more than he was getting hits. And it's not like he was producing power numbers or anything like that. He yeah, was simply wild. just an elite defender. Um, and actually, funny enough, he had a 7.1 war that year. The MVP winner, Josh Donaldson, had a 7.1 war. And Mike Trout finished second in the MVP voting with a 9.6 war, yeah, which was far and away I, the highest. I kind of remember, <laughs> I think I had Mike Trout in fantasy that year, if I recall correctly. Yeah, you might have. And I remember being like annoyed that he didn't win, but... Um, no, that's uh, well. I was gonna say uh, defense. I feel like comes into play not in that way for the MVP discussion because, like, if you're not a difference maker across the board, you're not the most valuable player, no matter how many runs you yeah. save. In my opinion, agree. Um, but it does come into play a lot, and I'm wondering if this is on the list you have when it's a position like if the two best guys are an outfielder or a shortstop. Which the one I'm thinking of is Jimmy Rollins, Matt Holiday discussion from 2007 or 2007. Okay, well. That's funny you bring that up because that was one of my worst MVP picks of Holiday of was our like lifetimes. the offensive. Like he hit like it's not Holiday. It's not Holiday. You have to consider who else was in that MVP. It's Pulhos. Pulhos should have won MVP uh, that year. Oh, I forgot, dude. Wow, Pulhos. Just... He batted three twenty seven with thirty two home runs, one hundred three RBIs. He had um, he had ninety nine runs scored, a four twenty nine on base. Oh my god, he and finished he had, ninth in the race that year. Yeah, and he had an 8.7 war. Obviously, this 2007 predates war, or at least using war in any real way. I don't know. I I think war probably existed before then, but nobody used it. And uh, Rollins had a 6.1 war. Halliday had a 6.0. Prince Fielder finished third. He had a 3.6 war. Um, He hit 50 home runs. Pujols was far and away. 50 home runs. And he batted 288. I mean, he had a great year, but I think he was a bad fielder, bad base runner. Um, Yeah. That's you know just not all around player. In my head, Pujols was, was the best player in the National League that year. In my head, Matt Holiday because Matt Holiday led the league in RBIs, batting average, and hits that year. He wasn't he only had thirty only thirty six home runs. But this was one mm-hmm. where it got weighted to a shortstop because it was the position you play. And they're like, yeah. oh well, Jimmy Rollins playing shortstop is more valuable than an outfielder because Matt Holiday wasn't like a great fielder in his career either. Um, no, and he and was a left fielder, which is arguably the least. And Jimmy Rollins things things in his favor. He played 162 games, which is cool. You don't often see that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He had 139. He went 30, runs. 40. Yeah, 30, 40. Had 94 RBIs, 296. It's a really good year. It's an awesome shortstop year too. But yeah, looking at this list, year. like David Wright uh, had more WAR. With yeah, 8. David 3. Wright had a crazy year. Uh, Chipper Best Jones had a seven point six WAR. Had a great year. Batted three thirty seven with twenty nine homers. Chase Utley. Guys. Yeah, his teammate. That's what I was seeing there. Like Jimmy Rollins won the MVP, but Chase Utley had a arguably across the board three thirty two, twenty two homers, one hundred three RBIs, one hundred seventy six hits, one hundred four runs, and he was a better defender. So yeah, it's weird. Also, I just want to point out a funny name. Um, if you scroll all the way toward the bottom of the NL list, Brad Hop. I. Oh man, Brad, Hall. and then right behind that, Carlos just like Marmol. A, a funny, yeah, Carlos Marmol, Aaron Rowan. They're... How did Aaron Rowan get MVP votes? This I mean, is... he didn't have a bad year; he had a good year. But like, come on, what year's the year for the Phillies? Actually, he, he had a better year defense. than that. Must have been that year. Yeah, no, he been. played 161 games. It couldn't have been that year. Anyway, yeah. So Jimmy Rollins, he was one of my my. Uh, like, I, I feel like at the time, I remember being like, "Why isn't Pujols the MVP?" Like, I feel like. Pulhouse was the guy, 
everybody knew it. it. It almost seems like it was probably like, let's see, how many MVPs did he win prior to 07? Only one. I feel like Pujols got the Mike Trout treatment before Mike Trout. I mean, in many ways, Albert Pujols and Mike Trout are like great comparisons of two of the best right-handed hitters we've ever seen play baseball. Um, mm-hmm. They, at any given point in their respective primes, which Mike Trout's in the middle of right now, were could be considered the best player in the game on a per-inning basis. Uh, Trout's a better defender, I think, across the board than Pujols ever was at any of the positions he moved around for. But, well, Pujols mostly played first base in his in his yeah he played outfield and third he? base. But but I'm pretty sure Pujols was an elite first baseman. Like I think he was. I think he was like he graded above average for parts of that tenure. But like arguably though, what I was going to say here is Trout and Pujols are both penalized by just being so good that people just take it for granted. It seems like every year you could have given Mike Trout yeah. the MVP for like five straight years. You could have given Pujols the MVP Wait, basically so. the first ten years of his career, and it would have not. Like it would have been a defensible argument. Well, so I'm looking at it right now. So O two, Barry Bonds won MVP with an eleven point seven war. Pulhos, he had a five point five war. He finished second in the voting. So that was his rookie. Okay, year. but you're going up against the greatest hitter. Yeah, of I all mean, time, so. oh no, sorry. O one was his rookie year. Uh, oh, also, oh, when Barry Bonds hit Bonds. 73 home runs, so yeah, you're not going to win. Yeah, that like, and and Sosa had 64, Luis Gonzalez had 57. They all had better years than him. Yeah, um, by the numbers and by WAR. So then, 02 was the year he lost to Bonds. He won Rookie of the Year again. Right? He did win Rookie okay. of the Year. Uh, in 03, he also lost to Bonds, but that was actually really close. It was um, eight. Well, I mean, relatively, Bonds only played 130 games and had a 9.2 WAR. Pulhos had an eight point seven and finished second. Oh four, also Bond. Yeah, I mean, so Pulhos would have won many more MVP awards if not for Barry Bonds, basically. Yeah, Barry Bonds being there is kind of like it's kind of like uh, for many years in the NBA how uh, when LeBron was in the East, it was like, well, every other team's kind of playing for like runner up until LeBron leaves, and that was kind of Barry Bonds for the MVP race in the National League for as long as he wanted to. Yeah. He was gonna probably keep doing yeah. that. It's crazy. All right, let's jump into he, this. Imagine Barry article. Bonds oh, in the ahead. new uh, DH era, though. He could be on any team. Barry... Yeah, he'd probably still be playing. Yeah. He'd still banging 80 home It'd runs. It'd be awesome. I, I wish it was happening. All right, yeah, let's hop in this article, though. So MVPs, we could okay. end up talking about Albert So this Pujols article, long time. it's just a Bleacher Report article, and it's just literally titled. It's from 2009, so it doesn't have the last like decade of stuff, but it's titled The, worst, the 10 Worst MVP Picks in MLB History. First one, 1981 Milwaukee's Brewers relief pitcher Raleigh Fingers. Um, he had he went six and three with an ERA of 1.04, which is gnarly, and he had a league leading 28 saves. Uh, the season was shortened because of a strike, but they point out to Oakland A's pitcher Steve McCaddy, who had 14 wins and had an ERA of 2.33 and threw four shutouts and only 22 starts. Um, so clearly, I mean, I feel like you got to give it to a starting pitcher over a relief pitcher every time. There's a couple relief pitchers on here. The next yeah. one is Willie Hernandez in, in 1984, Detroit Tigers. Um, he did have 32 saves, another, you know, sub two ERA, but, uh, Don I f- Mattingly. I feel like I really struggle with the idea of a relief pitcher ever winning an MVP or a Cy Young 
Yeah, I, I mean, they, that's what they, they point out in the article. Like, they should win the relief. or I think it, It's like the Roll Aids like, Relief or something. Yeah, something like that. Um, so this year that this guy, Willie Hernandez, won, Don Mattingly hit 23 home runs, 110 RBIs, and it batted 343. He had 207 hits, scored 91 runs, and he led the league in doubles with 44. So pretty good candidate, yeah. it seems like. If we pulled up all of these years on baseball reference, we could probably, um, you know, find other candidates who could have won yeah. the next one Kirk Gibson um 290 25 home runs 76 RBIs 156 hits 106 runs and then they say Will Clark who had 29 home runs 109 RBIs 282 162 hits 102 runs that's their option Wade, Wade Boggs uh, was I'm the war leader through... that year though oh uh, yeah so I'm sure there's other um other pit well would that would that have been in the NL? Uh, Wade Boggs would have been in Boston. There's probably, the AL. Right? AL. Uh, NL was. Yeah, Kirk, Kirk Gibson, Gibson would have been. Let's see, Daryl Strawberry. Uh, dang, Daryl Strawberry. These names, dude. The '80s were a very weird baseball time. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't. I'm, I have feel to like we got really lucky baseball. by seeing like cool baseball players. Like this is yeah, the '80s list. sucked. I've never even heard of Kevin <laughs> McReynolds from the Mets, who was the third MVP runner-up that year. Who had who had the highest WAR? Uh, Oral Hershiser had the highest WAR that year as as an NL player. What a, what about position player? Position player was actually Brett Butler was just above Gibson with six point eight, and okay. right below below him was Will Clark with six point seven. Okay, so so yeah, Gibson, so yeah, they were all kind of grouped in the same. Yeah. That one seems like a little bit of a stretch. Seems like Gibson had an argument. Seems like a boring year to play just based baseball. On. Yeah. This one's funny. Uh, so this is Nellie Fox in 1959, Chicago White Sox second baseman. Uh, he won the American League MVP award with a 306 average. He also hit two home runs, 70 RBIs, 191 hits, and scored 84 runs. Um, the only categories he led the season or that season were games and at bats. <laughs> Rocky Colavito of the Indians hit a league best 42 home runs, knocked in 111, and scored 90 runs. Uh, also, a guy, Harvey Cohen of the Tigers, led the league with a 353 average, led the league in hits with 198, doubles with 42, scored 99 runs. Dude, he came in eighth in the AL voting. <laughs> there's a guy that year, Camilo Pasqual, who had an 8.6 uh-huh. war. That's your war leader from that season. What were his numbers? Uh, he hit 302 with zero home runs and three RBI. What, what did this guy do? Was he a maestro with the glove? No stolen bases. I have no idea how he had 8.6 war, unless it was literally What the position kid. did he play? Let's see here. He was a... Oh, a pitcher, a pitcher. Okay, he was a pitcher. Oh. Dude, what the heck? Oh. I've never heard of Camilo Pasquale. 40 career war. This is fun. Little. I love, I love through this, we're going to get weird things we've never heard of. So keep going. Yeah. Uh, so this one also just an all-time name, Dick Grote, uh, 1960 Pirate shortstop. He had a 3.25 average, and then the article says I guess he won the MVP award because he had the best year of the World Champion Pirates. He hit two home runs. Uh, it's insane that somebody who hit two home runs could win an MVP award. Ernie Banks hit. I can't even think of an everyday. Yeah, I can't even think of an everyday player who hit two home runs. Like Isaiah Kainafalefa, I think, had a couple more than that. Um, 
Yeah, that's what they say. Ernie Banks had 41 home runs. Hank Aaron knocked in 126, and Bill Brutton scored 112. And- Willie Mays was the true MVP. He had 29 home runs, 103 RBIs, batted 319. He led the league with 190 hits and 107 scores. Yeah, that uh, was runs. a nine. Willie Mays got a 9.5 WAR out of that season. Yeah, so it seems like a lot of people were better than Dick Grote. You also got to think um, uh, that there was a time period and this is probably like the tail end of it where like MVP voting was just like the best white guy still kind of. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I'm sure there was periods of time even where, uh, beyond that, it was just the best guy on the best team or the, the most known. Yeah. I think, well, they said the thing about the pirate. I feel like that was even a thing when we were kids. It was like, Oh, this guy's team won. So he was clearly the most valuable player. Not really though. Cause the Yankees didn't have a lot of MVP awards during their dynasty run. You, you would have imagined that somebody would have won. It's fair. I mean, they didn't have any MVPs during their like. But they best were kind of run. In you know? it, this is a a comparison, different build, obviously, because of being the Yankees. But kind of like the Rays, where just everybody was good. It wasn't like they had. A yeah, guy but who you could have. I mean, runs like. No, but I mean, it was also steroid era, so everybody was hopped up. I, I feel like in our lifetime, it doesn't often go to. I mean, I I think, you know, obviously, a Rod won an MVP, uh, two MVPs with the Yankees. I think. Um, At least one. I'm, Judge just won an MVP, but uh, I think sometimes if you're on a consistently great team, like you, you almost get get subtracted. You know, like it's well, like yeah, well, cause... everybody's good on the Yankees. Like, yeah, you know, it's easy to be good when you're surrounded by good talent or whatever. Uh, anyway, so next one, Jim uh, Constanti. That's the 19... Phil- Phillies oh. guy, right? Yeah, he was on that team. Yeah, 1950 my Philadelphia yeah. Phillies. Yep, so we kind of already talked about that one, so I'll just jump to the next one. They say Stan Musel should have won that year. Also, Ralph Kiner. Um, so, like, Hall of Fame Frankie players F- being mentioned constantly yeah. here. Frankie Frisch with the 1931 St. Louis Cardinals. He was a second baseman. Uh, this was the first year of the MVP award, so maybe they didn't know what they were supposed to do. That's what the article says. Frankie Frisch he is also 28. the coolest baseball guy name. Eh, I like that name. Better. Dick Grote is better. Uh, he led the league with stolen bases with 28. He batted 311, four home runs, 82 RBIs, uh, 161 hits, scored 91 runs. Of course, Cardinals won the pennant that year, so you know. He's a Hall of Famer. That, I've never uh, heard his name before, but he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and they say Chuck Klein of the Phillies had an MVP year. He led the league with 31 home runs, 121 RBIs, 21, 121 runs, uh, slugging in total bases. He batted 3 uh, 337, 200 hits. So it sounds like he should have won. And then we're down to the last two here. Marty Slats Marion of the 1944 St. Louis Cardinals, a shortstop. He had six home runs, knocked in 63 runs, batting average of 267. He had 135 hits and only scored 50 runs. Uh, they won the pennant that year. So Gross. Bill Nicholson won two. He he won two out of the three categories of the Triple Crown home runs and RBIs, and he led the league in runs and total bases. Dixie Walker, another good baseball name, uh, batted three fifty seven. Um, Stan Musial had a yeah. four forty on base percentage that year. Jesus. And then, so this is the worst one, they say. Mickey Cochran, catcher for the 1934 Detroit Tigers. He won the MVP award in 1934 with a three twenty batting average. He also powered two home runs, knocked in 76. He had 140 hits and scored 70 runs. He didn't lead the league in anything uh, because the Yankees came in second that year. One of the biggest robberies in MLB history took place. Lou Gehrig won the Triple Crown with a... Th- 
Wait. Just absurd numbers. Uh, a 363 average while hitting 44 home runs and driving in 165. He also led the league in OBP slugging and total there, bases. There's baseball reference. It's actually 363, 49, 166, a 10.1 war for Lou Gehrig. How... Did Mickey Cocker win the name? That, that okay, that is the worst one of anything we looked at. That is the most That's clear. What egregious? Yeah, dude. What was? Uh, I'm I'm pulling it up now too. What the? Heck? Also, I I just I love uh, Lou Gehrig. Yeah, Lou. That Gehrig. was probably yeah Lou Gehrig. Oh, okay, he had a couple more good years. I was gonna say that was probably like sort of the beginning of the end for Gehrig, but dude, he was only 36 uh, was when he later. was forced to retire. Um, yeah yeah like he probably had without als probably two or three more like good years of the way because he was also like still very good up until the very end of like als really well and they they say that um it probably started debilitating him sooner whoa and um like you look at the year before 1938 obviously he's aging a little bit but he went from batting 351 to 295 that's a pretty big drop, especially because like, some of those a, years he's before a career, that, he was consistently well into the 300s. Yeah, he he was a career 340 hitter, and his average dropped almost 60 points. Um, I would and and his power numbers went down considerably. Like that was one of his lowest home run totals of his career. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think we were probably robbed of a, at least a couple more great years from Lou Gehrig, which is just really sad. Um, but yeah, pretty pretty. Pretty good list. Yeah. Pretty good list. No, and... Uh, obviously, it's a little different than what you were talking about, um, just career MVP winners. So what were you thinking there? Well, I was just trying to think of... Because the thing that brought this out in my brain was how Chris Bryant has fallen so far from grace, from, like, the Chicago Cubs savior. He was their rookie of the year. He won MVP. He, he's part of their World Series team. And, mm-hmm. like, pretty consistently good, I feel like, for, like, the first... I guess first three years of his career, really like 23 to 25 where he won a rookie of the year. He won an MVP in a world series, like right there. And then it's like the wheels fell off in 2018 and he's, it's not like he's been horrendous. Like he's had like solid stretches of each of these seasons, but the dude in the year he won MVP, I'm also going to see if he should have won MVP that year. Cause I want to, I, forget what that year was yeah he had seven yeah he was the war leader this is more modern you know we're 2015 now um he -hmm. hit 292 with 39 homers 102 rbis 120 run uh runs scored so that's like a great year in the especially in the Mm -hmm. in the 2015 time period like i feel like there was a time where post steroids pre-juiced ball and all the nonsense we deal with now like no one was hitting that many home runs like you had a couple of jose bautista seasons where he hit some but like 40 was like a, still like a good like wow this guy's having a good home run year uh yeah for chris bryant to go from that to like and i know he's had injuries and stuff but like he had a season where he hit 265 like not that long ago he hit 206 for an injury short stint in chicago like this is a, a really steep fall from like on the trajectory as a 24 year old of like winning an mvp to just like being kind of like a fringe guy who on an even on a per at bat basis isn't really that threatening to most teams yeah i mean he was supposed to be like a perennial mvp guy um but i do think his injury I mean, he's had he's had back issues, right? 
Uh, back issues, shoulder issues. I mean, he the, the two guys that prompted this thought in my head were Bellinger because he had all the injuries that derailed him after his same... I mean, Bellinger and Bryant, like, rookie of the year to an MVP was so... Like, these are promising careers. These guys are going to be, like, the guys. They're the new face of baseball. And then they just, like, just ate it so hard. Um, yeah, I mean, to peak that that... First off, to reach that high of a peak that quickly and then to just sort of settle in is, like average yeah it's very weird and and like it is weird bellinger does have the thing the thing going for him that i don't know if it's still because bryant was always a pretty good third baseman but bellinger's like an elite center fielder Um, yeah so he's still found value on a team but like yeah the fact that chris bryant just hit his first rockies home run and oh he was hurt which is part of this too well and bellinger also has age on his side where he's still young enough that he could turn it around he's 27 um and also i i think Bellinger last year was worse than Chris Bryant has ever been. Bellinger last year was one of the most painful experiences of watching he a player. two ten. Yeah, it was it was so hard to watch every at bat, and for like I feel like for the first few months of him playing, uh, he looked like his stance changed every few games, and he was yeah, like he was so clearly lost, like, like tinkering, like completely lost. So yeah, I I feel like this is like somewhat anecdotal since we. I thought we we miscommunicated. We're gonna get better, guys. We promise. Um, yeah, my bad. No, this is I, I misunderstood. No, I still the, like what we scenario. talked about. Though, so it was like bad. a nice little deep dive there. But yeah, we we maybe we can yeah. revisit this uh, as we get towards the end of the year and talk about guys who are going to be in the MVP chat. Then we'll just, we'll revisit them. You know. Um, okay. All yeah. right. So moving, we'll move here. I like that list. Thank you. Real for quick, I want to discuss just well. something that happened last night uh, for anybody who watched the Angels Yankees game. Um, I didn't actually get to see it in real time, but uh, Judge robbing Otani of a home run in the first inning, awesome. Yes, and then I saw Judge the came out in the bottom of the first inning, banged his own home run, awesome. And then later in the game, in the eighth inning, he made a diving catch in center field to save a run in a tied game. So uh, I just wanted to point out that Aaron Judge is the fucking man, and uh, that game without him last night is likely a five nothing loss and they ended up winning an extra innings three to two. So, uh, yeah, Aaron judge single. How's, how's that for Angels. MVP? Yeah. Yeah. He's a beast. It, he's, so I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. I, 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 I have, uh, as you know, as a guy who does not like the Yankees, I have the utmost respect for Aaron judge. And I think that he is, if he stays healthy, he has the chance to like go on like kind of a prime of his career tear here and i really hope he stays healthy because i like when the yankees are good because it's good for baseball to have a villain it's good for, for baseball else to not like so if aaron judge yep. can keep it up that'd be sick so yep all right so we're gonna do we didn't really i know you mentioned this at the beginning of the pod and like kind of refreshing people who may have listened before but also for new listeners uh we we are a baseball podcast but we have a blend towards fantasy baseball because it's kind of a way of life for us and so i wanted to have yeah. just a section kind of going forward on the show where we just do like a quick little like roundup of fantasy things uh the first one i just wanted to call out because joe in our first episode picked oscar colas <laughs> to be his rookie of the year al candidate then dropped this person he has such hope for so that was uh, just a funny little a funny little fantasy base let me thing. let me defend myself here i want to say that my reasoning for oscar colas first off we're making predictions Half of it's just fun. You don't want to choose yeah. the big name guys. You don't want to choose the Otanis. You don't want to choose the fucking 
you know, the, the Anthony Volpe's, the big name guys. You want to choose someone yeah, who's we're a little a, bit we're a counter, uh, fringe. We're a counterculture baseball podcast. You know, we're going to yeah, It's just more fun, though. What, what good is there, you know, if we come on here and we say all the same stuff that everybody on earth is saying? A. B, my reasoning for Colas winning the, uh, the rookie of the year, I'm sorry, not MVP, uh, was not that he was going to put up astounding numbers. It was that he was going to be average but consistent all year. Um, which I can still see happening. My reasoning for dropping him was I picked up Cabrian Hayes, who has been hitting the cover off the ball on a team that's actually scoring a lot of runs right now. And also they were playing in course field. So I thought, why not take a chance on a burner uh, on a guy who, um, for you face fantasy baseball nerds out there, uh, his stat cast page is just red, red as fuck. And one of the big knocks on Cabrian Hayes coming into the season was that he doesn't elevate the ball enough, therefore not resulting in Yeah, he was like a line-driving ground ball machine before. Power numbers, exactly. He he hits too many ground balls, hits too many line drives, things like that. Uh, he's been elevating the ball more. He's been hitting it really hard, which hopefully will result in more power, more home run, or It's kind of weird that you've become general, a, so. a fantasy owner who relies on Pittsburgh Pirates prospects as part of your strategy. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting... I drafted Cabrian Hayes a couple years ago, and he went on. He was on a tear to start the year, and I was trying to trade him, tried and trade him, and then he got hurt. And, uh, and then he came back, and he wasn't good. So yeah, you're on your but second tour of like, duty with Mr. Hayes, so it feels... Yeah, I mean, if I drop Cabrian Hayes in a week, I, I you know I won't be surprised, but um, I think it you know he's shown some uh some changes that are positive and things that you know those in the know were hoping he would do so why not take a shot on him and and again it's really less about Oscar Colas I I think Oscar Colas could have a fine season I just don't think um fantasy wise like you know even if he does win rookie of the year it might not be because he has you know, yeah, fantasy like season. It's like numbers. a good one to yeah. No, yeah. I, I respect. It. I just thought it was very funny. Just literally, we did the pod. We you said as it. I was doing it, I fucking knew. I fucking knew I was going to hear from you. I thought maybe I'd hear from Snake. I I knew it. I knew I was going to hear from somebody. Yeah. And uh, when I saw the agenda, I laughed because yeah, I, I put knew it on it there. Going to be a thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I was going to say actually one of my little like tips for anyone listening that's not in our fantasy league. If you're in our league, stop listening because I'm not giving you tips. Um, but I feel like rostering Pirates hitters in the matchups, because they've been doing a lot of, like, razy and matchup things the last few weeks with, like, oh, we're putting this guy in because he hits well against this type of person. And the Pirates have been doing well. Pirates matchups are something to look at yeah, in fantasy. Yeah, like, I mean, I... If you have, like, a day like today where there's not many games and you have a spot you can, like, stream someone and it's a game where the Pirates are playing, like, maybe not a great pitcher... I feel like they've kind of proven over the last couple of weeks that they have something that they haven't had since like 2013 on that team, which is some fight in them. Um, yeah, so. I mean, I think that could disappear pretty quick once you start losing. Um, I don't know if they have much appeal. Like, you know, are you going to roster like Rodolfo Castro or Jack Sawinski or something I would, like that? I would like, consider streaming Castro. I think like McCutcheon. I would stream Castro. Yeah, He's got some maybe pop. occasionally. He's got some pop. He's got some pop. So does Sawinski, though. Yeah. Um, I just don't like Sawinski's like, you know, name, so I wouldn't McCutcheon, roster McCutcheon. <laughs> you should pick up McCutcheon and Cabrian Hayes should be rostered and, yeah. you know, see what happens with those guys. But, like, you know, I also think odds are, like, generally, you know, Cabrian Hayes will probably be the guy he's always been and I'll end up dropping him. And McCutcheon is old and will probably start fading at some point and you'll probably end up dropping him and uh, the Pirates will probably start losing again. Probably. Yeah. No. But, yeah. hey, ride Their the hot streaks. The team is not man. great. So. Ride the hot streaks. Yeah. But, yeah. And they lost their best 
most promising player. So they're also for four months. I have a hard time with teams like I. I always roster like a Ray or two throughout the season. Like right now, I have uh, Isaac, Isaac Paredes because uh, he's I like his mm-hmm. first base, second, third base eligibility. And also he's been hitting home runs, but it's hard to roster players when there's a lot of like moving parts to a team. Cause you're like, am I going to get any at bats for the next three days? If they, well, that's like, Like, I wanted to pick up Josh Lowe. Yeah. Um, and cause he's been playing well, but they sit him a lot and it's like, yeah, they expose, there's too many other players. It's like so annoying for fantasy because you only have so many roster spots and so many places to put people in. Like if they're they play every three days, but on those three days that they do play, they're like tearing it up. It's like, do I keep this guy and just have a dead spot, or like what? Yeah. But yeah. Um, okay, so this is a little so fantasy corner here. Just wanted to make fun of Joe for dropping the guy I picked, uh, but I wanted to talk two two. There's two two points here. One, and this can be for pitchers or hitters. So everybody kind of has their different me- different methodology of how they build their roster or, you know, what they're looking for. I feel like I have a pretty consistent thing where I just try to get guys that are good. That's my move. But um, I I do have, like, certain statistics in my head that I use where I'm looking at – if I'm looking at a pitcher or I'm looking at a hitter. um, And you mentioned StatCast is a great place for a lot of this to see, like, oh, is this actually a real change or just dumb luck? And you see, like, oh, wow, the barrel rate, the hard hit rate, that's higher. It's a real change. Um, Or it could be a streak. Mm But I wanted to ask you, because uh, I feel like it's an interesting thing of like, well, we can do pitcher and hitter. What's the one stat? If you're like on the fence about an ad drop or you get a trade offer and it's close, what's the stat you use as like a pass fail for that decision? This is tough for me because I don't, I tend to agonize over these decisions. So I don't think I have one make or break point and some of it is player dependent, but for the sake of the argument... I like looking at, I guess maybe depending on the player. All right, I'll give you like two, maybe three. Um, one thing I like looking at on the Statcast page is um, like barrel rate. Mm. Um, so I don't technically know what number is the good number for barrel rate, but if you see a guy who's generally mediocre and having a better year, and uh, of course you need to use like. I wouldn't take too much into account now because it's yeah, small not even been a month. Right yeah, so maybe maybe we're talking about in June or July. Um, and you look at a guy who's having a better season than he usually has, what do I look at? Well, I get a trade offer for so-and-so, and I see that his barrel rate is up from last year and up from the year before, and he's having better, better numbers. I feel like that means he's doing something differently to more effectively hit the ball, um, which usually results in better numbers so like when there's guys who are having good years at the plate and you're like ah this seems like it shouldn't really be the case you know there's always guys who are like you feel like at any moment they're gonna fall off you know yeah um i think barrel rate seems like a good one because i think if you do it for a sustained amount of time over the course of a couple weeks or a couple months you know more a couple months then that goes to show or even going into draft season if you see like oh this guy's barrel rate has been improving a little bit each year like maybe he's doing something each year to improve and he's working to improve another thing i like um specifically with maybe good players who are struggling is on Statcast they have the expected numbers so like you have like xba which is like expected batting average so you have a guy who's like right now i picked up jorge soler 
Jorge Soler. Let's bring it up, actually. Let's do real-life scenario here. I like it. I saw you. I was actually so I pick, keeping an eye on Soler. But sometimes I don't put people on my so, watch list because I have too many on my watch list, so I didn't put them on there. Mm-hmm. So Jorge Soler, in his career, has been inconsistent. He's had... Uh, in 2019, he had 48 home runs, and he batted 265. He did strike out 178 times. But 48 home runs, 265, 117 RBIs is definitely a good fantasy contributor. So I'm willing to take a shot on that. One thing um, I was thinking when just looking at the numbers with Jorge Soler, this is just, I'm just going to give you a breakdown of my thought process for him. Um, I think we're seeing something, maybe not the exact same type of juice ball, but it does seem like home runs are up. So if home runs are up and he's shown to have success in that environment, like maybe a chance of him repeating that type of season, maybe not 40 home runs, but maybe 30 home runs, whatever it might be. uh, I think that's like something I'm willing to take a shot on. So like just on the surface, when I saw him dropped, I was like, Ooh, I think this is a good power hitting environment. And Jorge Soler has shown the ability to do that. So then I, you know, spend hours reading articles and looking at things about Jorge Soler, and I end up at a StatCast page. Now, right now, his numbers are pretty good because he's had a couple hits recently, but you pull up his StatCast page, small sample size, got to take that into account, but average exit velo, 99th percentile, uh, max exit velo, 97th percentile, hard hit percentage, 95th percentile. Then you get into his expected numbers. He's, uh, his expected WOBA is 96, is uh, percentile expected batting average is 91st percentile expected slugging is 99th percentile uh barrel percentage 97th percentile Dang. strikeout rate is 54th percentile which is you know mediocre but for a guy who strikes out a lot i like to see that yeah no, definitely. his walk rate is 52nd percentile that's good he's his chase rate is 74th percentile and his whiff rate is not great but you know uh, with the other numbers, I'm willing to take that hit. Um, so that's like a lot of red. And um, again, looking at barrel percentage, last year he was barreling the ball at 12.2%. This year so far he's barreling it at 29, uh, 23.9%. So obviously, um, you know, super small sample size. You have to take that into account. But this early in the season, uh, I dropped jerks and profar. Like it's not like I'm dropping some big-name guy that's going to put up uh, you know, like a great season, like Jerkson Profar could be a guy that ends up on the wire all year long. Um, and then uh, looking at, he's batting 265 right now, but his expected batting average is 313 and his expected slugging is 691, all things I like to see. And his hard hit rate is 56.5%, which I like to see. And his K percentage is down nine percentage points from last year. So, all these things to say, like, all those are good indicators to me that, like, at least what he's doing right now is legitimate. And if I ride a week-long hot streak and all those numbers go down, like, you know, what am I missing from Jerks and Profar? Yeah. Like, you know, I'd rather take a shot on a guy who has a almost 50 home run season in what I think might be a similar environment as to this season. So that, that I mean, I know it doesn't answer your question in that there was not one real stat that I chose, but, like... I can't make those decisions based on one stat. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I just no, cannot. I I can so I actually have a very similar process for hitters with basically all of the same. The one I'll say I use if it's like 
on a margin where there's two guys who those all those things seem like oh they could all be similar is I look at Babip to see if Lux on their side or not. That's a good one. It's too, like, yeah. Hey, but a lot of those expected numbers, like the expected BA and uh, all those, kind of takes take, that into account. Take yeah. Babip, yeah. So it's a little bit more all encompassing. Yeah, that's just um, my like. I, I go to that one if I'm stuck and don't know. I like my process overall is virtually the same as yours, which doesn't surprise me. But uh, that's mm-hmm. like if it's like I can't make this decision, I just go look at the Babip and whoever has the higher one. Actually, I don't. So I look at it as who is the higher one. I'd look at it who has the percentage up from where they currently are to see if there's potential for more than you're getting out of them. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it. Yeah, or a guy who you know historically has a 300 BABIP, and for whatever reason right now he has a 215 yes, BABIP. Yes, you know that and there's all something of that's those, come from that. Yeah, all of those like career uh, exit velo, all that stuff looks pretty similar and. You see his BABIP is down 70 points, like especially in a small sample size. Like some people are reactive and they dro- – I mean I d- I've definitely done it before where you drop somebody because uh, you're just like over having them on your team and you're frustrated with them and you're not really thinking straight and you drop them. And then uh, somebody else picks them up and you hate yourself and they have a great year because you just – you know, you were a little too reactive off of like a week or two of bad I've stat, benefited uh, from you stats. doing that several times. So Yeah, of course. Yeah. Who hasn't? Yeah. I might have benefited from picking up Jorge Soler. Somebody might have been a little reactive on. I mean, he wasn't even his. I think when I picked him up, his average was like two eleven. That's the other thing. Sample sizes here. It's important to point yes. that out. For a while in baseball, your numbers are so. You know, you have one good game and your numbers jump like crazy. You know, Cody Bellinger had a five for five game and his batting average went from like two forty to like three ten or something. Yeah, like, and that's and you have the, to the look numbers at, are so small right that's now. That's why I think when you said barrel rate, it's good because that's like okay, even if it's a sample size, that is a change versus like. So I'll I'll talk a little bit since you talked on hitting and we have a similar approach. I'll talk about pitching with the sample mm-hmm. size thing too because I feel like cool. I'm I'm even more rigorous with pitching because historically I have like a very top heavy rotation with like two guys who are pitching well and then I just have a bunch of scrubs just how I've always <laughs> built my teams for whatever reason, even if it's by accident. But the one I look at as my pass fail for pitching, because pitching's different. There's sometimes like a pitcher just finds like a thing, which you can see in stuff like, oh, what's his spin rate on this pitch that seems to be like new? Uh, what's mm-hmm. And then you can look at, with pitchers, you also get all the data of like, oh, what's his hard hit rate against this pitch? You can really break in. The one I look at that takes a lot of those into effect is um, expected FIP. Because... So to a certain degree, for for those who don't know FIP or extended FIP, FIP is fielding independent pitching, which for all intents and purposes, without getting into it way too deep, is the things a pitcher controls outside of bad luck or a bad bounce in the outfield or an error or whatever. Fielding independent pitching is like strikeout rate, walk rate, strand rate, kind of takes all those things into play and removes... Home run rate. Yeah, remo- a fly ball rate, stuff like that, and removes chance from it. So that's like the first layer of it. expected FIP takes that and then looks at things, all the chance and stuff and says, oh, this is actually how well they're pitching versus how lucky they are and looks at the whole thing. I think expected FIP actually does, the difference mainly is uh, instead of actual home run rate, it does the ex- expected home run rate based on like stadium correction and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. for example, a, a, one, a guy I was looking at to stream because I've got a few guys on the IL to start the year with Max Fried and Joe Musgrove. And Kyle Friedland had three really good starts, 
But I also know <laughs> that Kyle Friedland typically is not very good. So you have to take when Andy pitches in cores. Andy pitches in cores. And so he had like a like a sub two ERA after his first three starts. And then I saw his expected FIP was like north of six. And I was like, cool, I'm not streaming him because I don't want to be the guy who like runs into that buzzsaw when it explodes. Uh, mixed mixed yeah. metaphor there. Um, but on the other side, and this is I'm gonna I'm gonna flip flop here because expected FIP's the one I use. That's my pitching one, because it's like if I can't make a choice, I look at take away everything that's happened so far in a small sample size and look at what should have happened. Um, but I want to I want to go to our last fantasy corner here. So this is going to be probably personal to us because we have our guys we like, but I feel like that's fun. And also, you know, maybe we have a pretty like savvy league to those who uh, have not listened before. Uh, a lot of owners that are just as nerdy about baseball as we are. And so like often you'll see like lists from ESPN or the athletic, like go get this guy. And he's been rostered for like a month in our league. Cause it's also a dynasty league where we have keepers. So like sometimes young guys have been rostered to start the year. Cause we want to make sure we get that value. So just like, I, I think it's worth us sharing things about our league. So yeah, just uh, as crazy of a thing as having owners who are aware of players being called up and just kind of wanted to share a bit of our fantasy team experience and you know if you're a listener who's in another league maybe you can glean some info from here so i wanted to ask uh, and i'll start with mine because it's pretty predictable i think based on my team but the guy you're most excited about on your team after the first few weeks so i have some keepers that i'm very clearly excited about i'm trying to get at the heart of like maybe a guy you didn't expect or something that you took a bet in the draft or early season that worked out so for me uh, that is Justin Steele mm-hmm. because he, it was weird. Cause I, I kind of ragged on my brother, Tim, uh, last year for talk, talking up Justin Steele. He had like a 3.18 ERA last year. Yeah. It's just, the Cubs were like completely irrelevant. They shut him down. Cause he had like a, uh, he was like a minor injury, but they're like, you're young. We're going to shut you down early. So he didn't pitch September at all. Um, but it kind of seems like in the early going, and they, they, uh, he pitched yesterday, um, and the A's announcers were talking about how like his stuff is very different. Uh, and the biggest thing, and I made a very bold tweet from the podcast account yesterday about this as well, the biggest thing for him is uh, his slider has become just like a, a wipeout pitch. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been on Pitching Ninja a bunch for that this year because the rotation and the movement's crazy. Um but I made the claim, and I'm going to stick by it, and I'm going to say it on the pod for those who don't follow us on Twitter and might listen to this. Justin Steele, if this is a thing that's here to stay, is the 2020s Cliff Lee. He has the same type of like soft-tossing, command-based repertoire. He's got a couple pitches that you can strike guys out, got a nice change-up on top of everything else. And the way he's looking so far, like he he's like kind of perfect for the pitch clock era because he just pitches out of the stretch all the time mm-hmm. and just moves through stuff. Yep. So some of his innings are over in like three minutes. Yep. Um, so that's my guy I'm stoked about. I also do think based on all the metrics, like he might just be a good pitcher. Yeah. Um, which is kind of a, a kind of to our for last week when we were talking about the change in the guard. There's been a few guys I think who have like taken a step already, and it's like wow, maybe they're going to be the next era of pitchers to kind of take up the the mantle of the guys who are getting to be in the old vets. Yeah. So that's my guy, Justin Steele. Yeah, I like that. I think, uh, I mean, he's given you reason to be excited. I kind of wish I had him. Pitching's been so weird this year. Um, Very I'm, weird, I, yeah. I think I'm also going to go with a pitcher. I mean, my guy was O'Neill Cruz, but now he's out for four months, and I want to cry thinking about it. Because uh, he's, A, just so fun to watch. His skill set is so wild. Um He's like a six foot seven monster. Yeah, too. he's fast. He throws hard. He runs hard. He hits the ball like a fucking monster. Yeah, um, so that that sucks. But 
I'm going to go, and this might be predictable to you. It's not really a guy I'm surprised about, but a guy I bank on. And uh, I just love when he performs. Pablo Lopez. You are He's better uh, than ever. You are a Pablo Lopez. He's better guy. than ever, dude. He always had the 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 skills. He throws a couple good pitches. He added one of those sweepers that everybody's talking about and it's it's been like a, an elite pitch. Um he already had a decent fastball and a good a really good changeup. Um so he added like a third really good pitch and the Minnesota Twins I mean they 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 do They paid him. They paid him. They should pay him. Uh, and, uh, they, they do pretty well with pitchers generally. Um, so I trust that Yeah, they fix Sonny Gray. It seems like, yeah, I, I trust that. And Tyler Malay, who I like, uh, he's there now too. And I think he'll be more successful there than he was in Cincinnati. Um, I prefer Pablo on the twins than I did in, in Florida, just cause the Marlins are shitty and, you know, I, yep. you never really can trust what the Marlins are doing. I feel like, um, but I, I just think Pablo Lopez is a really good pitcher, and I think he could be moving into that next tier of whatever that is. Maybe not elite, but like, you know, one of the guys um, with some of the changes he's yeah. made and, and the performance he's had so far. I hope so. I really I enjoy watching him pitch, so I hope I hope that's the case. I was really hoping the Yankees would get him, yeah. but they did not. He in my head, uh, because your phone typos his name all the time, he is now just Pablo P in my head because your phone no, is with his name. It's done that for you. Like, I write I write Pablo P-A-B-L-O-P, Pablo. I think that should be his nickname. Pablo. Yeah, Pablo Lopez, Pablo. It, yeah. Well, it, or Pablo. That's his name in my head because you every time you've typed – because I think he's, he's been on your fantasy team for – Probably like four of the last five years, I think. Uh, Chad had um, him. Or you've like Chad traded had him, for him one year. I think him. I traded for him. Yeah, I, I just think he's a really good pitcher. I mean, I think he has some injury concerns, but he's built up a little bit more, and he was he was really good last year for most of. I want to say, I mean, it was definitely half the year, but maybe three quarters of the year, and then he sort of fell off. He, he like imploded. Yeah, he did. Um, he yeah, he's also been. I, I think one year he he had like a literally like a negative twenty five, negative thirty point start or something. It was insane. He let up like ten yeah. runs without getting an out or something. Um, but I just I think he's a really good pitcher, and I think you know he might not be as flashy. His strikeout numbers might not be as high as some guys. He might not throw as hard as some guys, but I think he's a better pitcher than a lot of guys who have better stuff. And uh, sometimes that is better, you know, just like knowing how to pitch. And and now he added a pitch that is legitimate. You know, that sweeper that he's using is is like the real deal. It seems like so. Um, I'm excited to see Pablo. I hope he I hope he stays healthy all year because I I enjoy watching him. I like that choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we both I, we both said well, a hitter. Uh, you know, uh, a hitter I would consider would be Bohm. Alec Bohm, he's seemed to add some power to his his repertoire. He's getting more uh, more uh, lift on the ball. He's hitting it a little bit launch angle focused. So hopefully we see some power numbers from him. He was already a pretty good average hitter um, previously. So I'm excited to see what he does. Also in a good lineup, or well, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of. should should yeah. be. <laughs> so but, honorable mention. Cool. Well. Yeah, no, I like I like the honorable mention. I'm not going to do mine because I already did my Phillies guy last week for my uh, guy who's going to be the guy, Castellanos. I still think he's playing well, <laughs> and he's continued to hit well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's fun. For those who don't know, uh, Joe Mano was a Castellanos keeper 
last year, mm-hmm. and Nick Castellanos had the worst year of his professional career, which there is a trend line in the history of our fantasy league where if Joe keeps a guy, <laughs> I think the year you had Mike Trout, he led the league in strikeouts, even though he still was great. Yep, he did. Uh, you just it's a certain luck streak that seems like it's beyond the it's like beyond the natural yeah. world where if it's Joe metaphysical. does certain things. Yeah, it it's just and uh, Nick Castellanos fell to that last year. Uh, I I have the opposite where if I get a guy who is nobody, he'll have a career year in my mm-hmm. year uh, on my team. And shout out Justin Smoke, <laughs> shout out Rick Porcello, Cy Young, Jeff uh, McNeil. I'm hoping this year that guy's that guy's Jorge Mateo. This year is I my saw hope. he got hurt. I think this is Mateo is coming out for. It, it's day to day. I'm hoping it's it's the kind of thing. It might be like if he's mm-hmm. hurt, it's gonna uh, stop him running because it was like a hip, hip thing. thing yeah. I think they said. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping it's a day to day thing. He's been hitting for power, which was like always in his prospect profile when he was still hyped. Um, it would be cool if he like even if he hit 15 home runs, it'd be a really big surprise for how fast he is. And he, he has some of the stats where his uh his barrel rates and things and his launch angle are all different this yeah. year. So uh, he's my guy. I'm hoping gets the, the DAA legends boost for my team and plays out of his mind this year for no reason. We'll but on that note, we're going to move into the Womack report. So if you're a first time listener, just for the first few, I'm going to say this, uh, the Tony Womack report is an homage to nineties and two thousands middle infielder, Tony Womack. If you know him, please send him our way. We would love to have him on the pod. <laughs> Uh, and this is a time-honored tradition of just guys sitting around and talking about old baseball players mm-hmm. where we just pick a guy. Um, so we did something last week. I don't think we did this the last time we recorded the podcast where we kind of tried to guess who the other one said. I got Dimitri Young. It was impressive. Joe did not guess mine, who I'm trying to remember who I even Al, said. Uh, Joey Cora. Uh, oh, Joey Cora. Yep. Joey Cora. Uh, so I got one today. Uh, Joe, do you want to go yeah, first? Yeah, sure, I'll go first. See if I can guess yeah, you yeah, yeah. Um All right, so this guy will be remembered as a brave on those great braves teams he was um they have him listed as shortstop second baseman third baseman but i believe he was mostly a shortstop uh he has a career war of 20.9 he played from 87 to 99 and uh not much of a power guy not much of an average guy 262 career average um just Kind of a guy on those Braves teams, though. Walt, Walt Weiss? Not Walt Weiss, no. 87 to when? When did he stop? 87 to 99, and he finished his career with two years uh, on the Cubs. Two-time All-Star. I don't, I, I don't know if I have it in my... I don't know if I have this one. You want me to tell you? Yeah, tell me. Jeff Blauser. Oh, Jeff Blauser. What an awful name. <laughs> also, like, Walt Weiss is also not a great name. Just, like, German-sounding middle infielders for the Braves. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, uh, uh, Jeff Blauser. He, uh, his 162-game average, 262 batting average, 14 home runs, 59 RBIs, 7 stolen bases, and uh, 80 runs scored. He is a silver slugger in 97. Yeah, I don't – I saw that, too. I, I guess because he batted – I mean, 308 with 17 home runs, 70 RBIs isn't bad. Not – I mean, it's yeah, that's like not great, but. that's like kind of bef- that's like right before A Rod made shortstops a thing where home runs were like expected. Yeah, but he maybe he wasn't playing so. shortstop at that point. Maybe he was playing. Uh, oh, oh well, that would have other infield positions. That, is there an NL and an AL Silver Slugger? It's it's the whole league, right? 
No, I think it's NL ALNL. Um, pretty sure. Yeah. It's oh, okay. Let's see. What year was that? Nine ninety-seven. Yeah. Um. No. Yeah, it was the shortstop that year. Weird. Yeah. Barry Larkin won it. Blouser won it in ninety-nine, ninety-eight, ninety-six, and ninety-five, but Blouser pulled it out in ninety-seven. <laughs> That's very. Oh, because that's because Barry Larkin only I played seventy three games. Okay. Anyway, that's one of my favorite things about us doing this segment is like I obviously knew the name as soon as you said it, but I never would have known like that guy won a Silver Slugger and was a two time. Yeah, weird, right? Like just never in a million years would have thought that. All right, who you got for um, my guy? Was a hit me much worse player. Oh, no. uh, it's gonna be hard. Um, I didn't intentionally do this because this just actually was a name that straight up popped into my head. Uh, he was a teammate of Tony Womax, actually. Um, he was an outfielder. He's listed. This is when you know a guy was very like on the margins. Outfielder and pinch hitter are his two positions listed. Uh, and his first name and last name both begin with the same letter. Shit. Outfielder, pinch hitter. Uh, he he. In my head, I most thought of him as an Arizona Diamondback because he was on that World Series team with Tony Womack. Uh-huh. Um, and then he played in Cleveland philadelphia and he had a very brief 21 game stint as a yankee in 2003 and, oh and 2.5 career war so just a guy how many years did he play played from 97 to 2009 13 year career yeah um i feel like this is a tough one yeah, it's it's real. It just literally it popped into my head, and I wrote it down immediately before. Oh three, so he was on the Yankees. Oh three was on the Yankees, and then he was Tony Womack's teammate in oh one on the Diamondbacks, and he's an outfielder slash pinch hitter. No, I'm not gonna get it. All right, David Delucci. David Delucci. I could have fucking gotten David Delucci. I remember when David Delucci I, was on the Yankees. Yeah, I. It just was Fuck. like I was like. Walking around, was I was rewiring my pedal board yesterday, and just this name or whatever day this first because I had this I guess Tuesday, um, and I was like, man, David Delucci, and I looked him up and I was like, I thought he had a good year. He has yeah. like no. Years. I would have thought he had like, like a decent year somewhere. Uh, the weirdest year of his career was 2005 on the Rangers. He hit 251 with 29 homers and 65 RBIs. That's a good year. For a guy? Uh, yeah, 128 games. Yeah. yeah, no, for a guy. He never, other than that year, hit more than 17 home runs. And he had a few years where he hit like 10 home runs. What did he do for the Yankees in 23 games. games or whatever you said? In the Yankees tenure, he hit 176 with one home run and four RBIs and three stolen bases. I think he was a good fielder, and... though. I kind of remember him making some diver, diving plays. Or, I, do, I mean, maybe I, yeah, yeah, but, know, a flashy fielder, at least. Maybe not a good fielder. Yeah, it, 2.5 career war, he just was kind of... Hey, he was above average. He was worth 2.5 wins in his career. So that's something to say. And he played on a couple of World Series teams. He played teams, for a while, or, too. No, one. Just one World Series team. Never mind. Not a couple. Played, um, well, he yeah, played he played for a while. in a second World Series if he was... I mean, maybe not in it, but he was on the team that went... The Yankees played in 3 Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. So, yeah, no, that, uh, yeah, so he, uh, David DeLucci. So today we got Jeff Blouser. You know, it'd be fun at the end of the year is we can make a roster of our best Womacks. <laughs> I don't think David I DeLucci never thought of that till this Blouser moment. will make it, but you never know. 
Well, Blauser could end up being the shortstop. We'll see. He's he got to be a so better Womack shortstop. But anyhow, well, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, this episode will be out this well, you'll be listening to this Friday if you listen to it. Uh, have a good weekend, and you will hear from us next week. See you.